Welcome to We Go There. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... But hey, we go there. Because there's no such thing as having too much information when it comes to your health and wellness. We dive deep into topics, interview experts, and get answers you need. Because knowledge is power. And feeling empowered is what we're all about. So let's go there. So today I have the pleasure of being with Margot Kwiatkowski. She is a pelvic health physical therapist. She's also someone who has experienced prolapse firsthand, and she has a really, I think, powerful and unique story. So without further ado, welcome, Margot. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Nikki. I'm so excited to be here and finally meet you. We've been corresponding for a while on Instagram, but it's nice to actually speak (laughs) face-to-face. It absolutely is. And I'm so excited that you agreed to do this. And I understand this is your very first time being a podcast guest. So I am very yes. honored. I'm, sure. I'm honored. <laughs> this is just the beginning, I'm sure, of many times you're going to be asked to share your story. So thank you for going there um, and just helping us understand. So in a nutshell, you earned your doctor of physical therapy um, in 2019. And then you were working in professional sports and then clinical care. And then you had your first baby, a boy, in the summer of 2021. So he's about a year old now, right? Yes, 14 months now. Mm -hmm. 14 months. And then after your delivery, um, you discovered that you have pelvic organ prolapse. And so this is where I think you would love to chat with you a little bit more about that journey because you have the unique, you know, perspective of having been you know, professional, and then you became, you know, an actual, I guess, say patient, you know what I mean? You, so it's mm-hmm. kind of like tricky to be on both sides of it. Yeah, yeah. So my delivery was really great. It was wonderful. I actually, I was so excited that I had a vaginal delivery. I had a pelvic pain condition that put me at a higher risk of potentially having a C-section. And I felt so empowered after I had my son. But before I left the hospital, I, I knew something was wrong because I had no bladder control. Not that I couldn't empty, but I had no ability to hold my, my urine in and I had no sensation. So I, I already knew probably that there was something going on, but I didn't actually take a look and see that I had a prolapse until the third week. And you're right. I know how to treat this condition. And I know <laughs> that I knew, I knew, and I kept telling myself, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. But when you're there and you physically experience the symptoms for the first time and the hormones of having a, having a baby and the lack of sleep and all of that added up, I never understood the mental and psychological burden of pelvic organ prolapse until it happened to me. And now that I understand that side of it, we have to see these people as a whole. We have to treat all of it because it can really, it can really change your world. And I'm doing so much better now and my journey has been long and it's not over yet. However, um, yeah, I just think you're right. Being being a patient now and having having a prolapse myself has given me a unique perspective to treat it. I love what you said about treating the whole person. So you know, we're going to get into your story, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I think everyone wants to hear. You know, if you're comfortable sharing more details of what you went through, but you know, the way you practice sounds like it has changed as a result of this. Mm-hmm. Yes, it has. I 
I always share my story with my patients. When I got into pelvic health, it was actually because as a young adult, like I said, I had a pelvic pain condition. And so my passion has always been those patients, really, because of my experience that way. But and I've always been really open with my experience in regards to that with my patients. And now I share with them, yeah, I have a prolapse. And currently at this moment, I'm wearing a pessary. And let's talk about that and how this has affected me. And I think them seeing that I've gotten back to my life and that I can work out and exercise, it's, it's totally different. And it gives people some hope. And then, yeah, I, I ask them about their mental health so, so often. And I'm quick to try to give resources to help people because I realize that without you know, changing our mindset and having hope and, and getting the help if we need some more help in regards to the mental health aspect of healing with prolapse, then things aren't going to get better. So I always include that as well. So what can you tell us more a little bit about your birth and specifically, you know, what happened and, and you know, it sounds like you knew um, something didn't feel quite right, but you're probably someone who's more in touch with your body than perhaps the average person. Um, so yeah. <laughs> given your, you know, what you do, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So my water had broken. I had a really slow leak and I didn't realize that that's what had happened. And so it was like well over 24 hours by the time I went to the hospital. I was kind of in denial that that was what was happening. I wanted to labor at home and I wanted to do all that. And that, that didn't happen. So I ended up going to the hospital and being induced with Cervidil. I wasn't dilated or effaced at all. And things quickly started from there. I started having contractions and dilated pretty quickly. My son was uh, occiput posterior, so he was sunny side up, was having a lot of back labor. My plan all along was to go as long as I could and then get an epidural. I know myself and I know that I most likely was not going to find that peaceful space. I have a history of anxiety and I went as long as I could with the support system I had. And then when I felt ready, when I felt like I wasn't connecting with my body well, I knew it was time to get the epidural. And I did. I'm really glad I did. Mine was pretty light. I actually could move around a little bit. I couldn't walk, but I was able to switch sides. I got into quadruped. I did all the things I wanted to do. I had the pain relieving techniques with my, my husband there as my support. And when it was time to push, I got to push in quadruped and inside lying. And eventually my son rotated, which was great. My, my provider was really hands-on with me and she knew my goals and she knew my medical history and supported me in all the ways that I wanted. Um, I did end up pushing for a long time. It was like two and a half, three hours, somewhere around there. I don't know the exact duration of time. I did not purple push. I did all the breathing. I did, I did all the right things, right? And so we'll get to this, but. Yeah, I, I'm try, I tried not to blame myself early on for my prolapse because I'm thinking, man, I did everything. I did everything right. But eventually I vomited towards the end of my pushing phase. And that last bit of pressure helped my son come out and everything was, was perfect. I had only a little minor grade two tearing and the doctor was, was really happy with how it all went down. I love that you talk about having done all the right things. And yet something, you know, and, and I think that's something that it's important for people to hear. You can sometimes do, quote unquote, all the right things and things are beyond our control, right? So showing grace to ourselves, I'm sure it's a process. I know it's a process. <laughs> I've been there too for other things. Um, so I think we should definitely dive into that. This episode of the We Go There podcast is brought to you by The Bell Method, a fitness company that blends Pilates with pelvic health, creating choreography from science. 
You might feel overwhelmed at all the abs after baby programs promising to make you bounce back after birth. Or maybe you're feeling unsure of how to exercise in pregnancy and prepare your body for delivery. It can be tough to navigate what information is credible and evidence-based. Women deserve better. I created all of our programs with the guidance of pelvic health physiotherapists, and we continue to evolve our programming to stay current with the latest research. At The Bell Method, we ditch guilt and bring balance to our bodies with programs designed to fit your life stage. We'll help you reduce incontinence, diastasis recti, and prolapse so you feel strong, confident, and empowered throughout pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. I invite you to enjoy 10% off your first class session with the code WEGOTHERE10. Visit www.thebellmethod.com for more. So back to talking about giving yourself grace and having done all the things and yet, you know, something happens. You develop pelvic organ prolapse. So let's kind of get into that and what that process was like for you. Yeah, I think it's really important for people to recognize that they did not cause their prolapse, whether it be, you know, you pushed on your back or the delivery didn't go exactly as you planned, or you picked up your 30 pound toddler three weeks postpartum, or you went for a walk around the block, or you're, you know, you were a bit constipated, whatever it is. I hear these stories all the time of women saying, I think this is what I did and I caused my prolapse. But the reality is that prolapse is a series of things that add up to an eventual change or shift in the tissues. So what happens is there's either, you know, weakening of the walls of the vagina, there's lengthening of the ligaments that support the organs, or there could be a tear or some sort of issue with the pelvic floor muscles themselves, like the levator ablation, something like that. But the weight of the baby during pregnancy pushes down. If there's constipation, chronic coughing, there's so many things that are out of our control. And we can't blame ourselves for that one incident, that one moment that we think contributed to our prolapse, because the likelihood is there were so many other things that were already happening and the prolapse was probably there. You just didn't feel it. And then all of a sudden you pushed that threshold just a little too far and then became symptomatic. And I can tell you're asked a lot of these questions on Instagram and, you know, and people kind of in a state of, you know, I've broken my body. I'll never be the same. Um, you know, am I, you know, even like the psychological aspect of, I don't feel like I can, you know, enjoy life and be free and, you know, go and run and jump and play with my kids or be intimate with my partner, anything like that. So it's, it's really a big impact that I think unless you've maybe lived it or someone close to you has lived it, people don't necessarily realize. Yes, absolutely. And early on, I had those fears as well. I was so depressed thinking I would never travel. I would never comfortably hold my son. I love weightlifting and hiking. I mean, I live in Southern California, for goodness sakes. Like, we are outside all the time. And I've seen women recover from prolapse, but I was thinking, I'm never going to get there myself. I'm never going to get there. Because when you're in the thick of it, like I said, it's so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But there is so much hope. (laughs) There is so much hope that it will improve and you can become asymptomatic. And there's... So many more things other than maybe what your doctor has suggested for you to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's get into a little bit about the what predisposes someone to developing uh, prolapse because there is a genetic component. And I think that, yeah. again, you don't have control over this. I often tell people it's sort of like the makeup of your collagen and elastin fibers and 
why do some women get stretch marks and others don't, right? Like there are some genetic factors. So can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So the research does show that if your mother, grandmother, aunt, something like that has a prolapse, you are more likely to have that as well. Or if you have a hypermobility disorder, which I think we have very minimal understanding of at this point, you know, we have a diagnosis of Ehlers-Danlos, but I think there's a wide spectrum of hypermobility disorders that we don't understand yet. So things like that, if you've had chronic cough in your life, pregnancy in general, the number of vaginal deliveries that you've had, if there was instrument assisted delivery, you know, using forceps or a vacuum. Um, if you've had an occupation that requires a lot of heavy lifting, things like that, all of those, anything that's really repeatedly putting pressure downwards in the pelvic floor, on the pelvic floor, or any sudden trauma like elevator revulsion from a delivery. Yeah. And those are not, I don't think, discussed enough. Um, so yeah. for, for those people who are listening and they don't know what elevator ana avulsion is, can you explain what it is? Sure. So some of the pelvic floor muscles attach behind the pubic bone next to the urethra, and then they wrap around and attach to the tailbone. So the, the common place for these muscles to avulse, which is the removal against, like, of the bone or excuse me, of the muscle off of the bone. That's what an avulsion is. So during a delivery, sometimes if they're really, really fast where those muscles don't have time to stretch, or if there's use of a vacuum or forceps, and sometimes none of those are involved and elevator avulsion just happens, but all or part of that muscle can tear away from the bone. Sometimes they can heal a little bit. Sometimes there's no healing. The muscle is so thin and that there really isn't a good way to surgically fix them. Some doctors are doing them, but it's really hard to find physicians who will. And honestly, by the time they're even diagnosed, it's often too late. It's like a rotator cuff here. If you wait too long, that muscle is retracted back. Same thing with the pelvic floor. That muscle ends up kind of retracting back. So what happens is instead of having this really great uh, hammock support on both sides of the pelvic floor, you have kind of a wider genital hiatus. So there's more room for the organs to descend downwards against gravity. Mm-hmm. And these are often undiagnosed. Yes. And, and they're actually really hard to diagnose manually, even by someone who's really well-trained because it could be, like I said, a full or a partial. And so the best way to get diagnosed is going to be with some imaging. Um, many doctors and physical therapists miss them with the digital um, evaluation. I was I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's a urogynecologist who does prolapse surgeries. And I was kind of pushing, we're that kind of friend where I can push her a bit. And I'd be like, well, why? Well, why? And she's like, Nikki, go away. You know, But it's good to have like someone in the medical field to, to be able to yes. have that kind of relationship with. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, asking her just to, so I could better understand because you know, obviously, you know what I do for a living, Pilates, I'm focusing on rehabilitative exercise, you know, and, and it can, I've often heard from people, yeah, but it doesn't help with an avulsion. You know, well, I, I can't get surgery. They don't do surgery to fix an avulsion. So what would you say to someone who is, you know, does have an avulsion, who does have, say, you know, to, for in plain speak, have muscle that's been torn away from the bone and has Mm -hmm. a larger hiatus, a larger opening, and therefore is more Mm -hmm. susceptible to these things. So what would you say to someone? Because I think they're, they're, I don't know if you have any stats, they're probably inaccurate, but what percentage of people would you say have potentially an avulsion? Is that, would you be hazarding a guess there? 
Ooh, I would have to go look that up again, but I guarantee they're not super accurate. <laughs> okay, yeah, exactly, right? They're undiagnosed. They're undiagnosed. Okay. Yeah, okay. exactly, exactly. But what I would say to someone is that you can still strengthen the muscle that is there, and that's going to help. You can strengthen the rest of your body, which anyone with prolapse should be doing. Because if you don't have strong glutes, you don't have strong abdominal muscles, you don't have just strong legs and body in general, your pelvic floor is doing way extra, like way too much work, right? And you know this. That's why we're always trying to get people to move and to get stronger in general. There's other things like try a pessary. Pessaries you do not need to be ashamed of. I don't care if your doctor tells you that, I oh, I've never seen someone in their 30s get a pessary. It's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> I'm not going to cuss on your podcast, but it's, you can, <laughs> no, this is an explicit podcast though. You can yeah. like, fuck that. It's a bunch of bullshit. That's what it is. Like I I'm 30 and I wear my pessary every single day. And I know women in their twenties who wear a pessary. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And if you don't like the one that you were fitted for, go back and try another one. With avulsions, they can be really, really helpful. There's also other things like external support. You can wear these, you know, external support shorts that are really actually well designed to support the perineum and give those a try. The companies are great. If you don't like them, send them back. It's your money back. But there's other options. It doesn't mean that everything is, you know, that you're done for and that this is a life sentence. There's so many different things to try. I love that. And it's, it's absolutely, I think it's powerful to hear, you know, that you're you're taking back you know you're destigmatizing it you're kind of removing the shame and you're saying hey like this is you know this is can also help with um you know getting your life back and my understanding too so i'll share this with you so i and some of people listening may know I was diagnosed with a minor cystocele after my second vaginal delivery i had bronchitis in my pregnancy so coughing third trimester First time experiencing leaking, being like, are you kidding me? Again, like I'm the person to teach this stuff. Yeah. You've got to be freaking yeah. joking me. Now I'm the person on the other side. And it was uncomfortable, but mm -hmm. now I can speak to it with a certain level of empathy that I didn't have before, right? And again, you get the mirror out after and you're like, oh my God, things look different. And you're like feeling in there and you're, you know, and you're like, it feels like there's something bulging. Like my anterior wall is collapsing and you catastrophize it. And you, you know, it's not, you're shaking your head right now because <laughs> you're like, I know, I know. Been there. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. And, and you're sort of like, and then you go to Google and then you look at images and then you're like, oh my God, I'm broken. It's, it's over. Like my life is over. And I remember um, just those feelings, they're very, they're very real. And the tendency to then clench as a protection to sort of think if I just constantly am vigilant with my pelvic floor and keep holding it all in, but that's like counterproductive, right? Which we now know. Yeah. So there's so much there that, that we want to talk about, but as it relates to a pessary, um, mm -hmm. I remember seeing my pelvic health physio at 12 weeks, oh no, only so sorry, six weeks postpartum. And she was like, yep, you've got a low bladder. She was hesitant to use the word cystocele. And I'm yeah. like, all right, well, you know, ask him like pushing, right? Like we're also friends. Uh -huh. So she said, uh -huh. try the poise impressa, which is a, yeah. right. It's basically like a tampon, but it's marketed mm -hmm. for incontinence. And she mm -hmm. had said to me, if you insert this, it'll essentially help support things while you're healing. And I was like, yeah. okay, interesting. So, you know, it's, con it's conceivable that you could also get fitted for a pessary and it could also prevent further prolapsing of your organs, right? Because you're supporting the ligaments from underneath. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, if you've really 
terribly sprained your ankle and lengthened the ligaments, why not splint it in a position of a shortened, you know, shorten those ligaments and support it while it's healing? Mm-hmm. Same thing with the pessaries. So the pessaries have been shown if you wear them long-term, meaning three months, that the genital hiatus has significantly narrowed, meaning that the muscles close in that opening and better support by that hammock since underneath. I love that. And this is something mm-hmm. that I think is so important to highlight because people may think incorrectly that, oh, it's just a Band-Aid solution when it's actually right. something you can use as a tool to improve your healing. Yes. See, that's power. I think that makes it more empowering too. And there's so many different kinds and sizes and shapes and, you yes. know, so can you, did it take you a while to figure out which one worked best for you? It didn't for me. Uh, they gave me the smallest one at first, the size two. Well, I guess they come in size one, but they don't have size twos. They're a ring with support. And when I got home, it was really low, like almost falling out. So I removed it. I tried to put the size three in and I had a panic attack and I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I went back to the doctor and had them insert it for me because I, yeah, I'm so familiar with my body. <laughs> And I'm like embarrassed to say I had a panic attack over putting something inside of my own vagina. And I'm very familiar with my own self, but this happens. And it, mm-hmm. it takes a while to get used to putting the pessary in and removing it. And there are things you can do to make that easier. But yeah, so I stuck with the size three. And the goal is for it to alleviate some of your symptoms. It's not going to take away all of them, right? It's not like I can just pop that in and suddenly go for a run 10 weeks postpartum. No, I still have to be careful about my lifting and breathing and all of that. But if it eliminates or removes some of your symptoms, then it's probably fitting correctly. If it's uncomfortable, it's not. It's painful, things like that. And if it doesn't change your symptoms at all, probably go back and try something else. Okay. Um, So this is a podcast, we talk about sex a lot. So a lot of people are probably wondering, is this something you need to remove or does it stay in all the time? It depends. So the one that I have, you can have sex with it in. I haven't tried that Mm -hmm. because I just can't wrap my head around how that (laughs) (laughs) someone told me like, just try it and report back. So I might, I might try to report back, but (laughs) we'll do a sequel. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do a sequel. There are some that are just a ring and they literally fit like around your cervix, kind of like that if you were using the Nuva ring, the birth control yep, Nuva ring. Yep. Um, those people don't have to remove for intercourse at all. But if you have one of the space filling ones, like a cube, it's literally like a block mm-hmm. that goes inside. Those you have to remove because there's no way for a penis to fit inside or anything else. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, this is important for people to know. So, you know, yeah. again, we could probably, we need it. The problem is I think the visuals for pessaries are, are really important. So anyone listening to this wondering, you know, it really is like, there are so many different shapes and sizes. And I think it's important to advocate for yourself if you're trying one and it doesn't work for you. It's not like, oh, pessaries don't work. It's, oh, try a different one. Right. Yes. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. So. A lot of the questions I get, because as you know, I work with a lot of pregnant women, the questions are around, you know, I I know you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I'm pregnant for the second time. I have existing prolapse. You know, should I book a cesarean? Because there's this, obviously, a, a fear of making it worse through another vaginal delivery. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you what I tell them, and then I would love your response. So, and I am, yes. simply, I'm repeating um, so cause I asked, um, an obstetrician and the urogynecologist and I said, Hey guys, like, what's the deal? What? And they said, it's rare 
that they would recommend a cesarean um, with someone who has existing prolapse. That said, it should always be that person's decision um, because yeah. of the, it's basically a question of weighing the pros and cons. And part of that is also the mm-hmm. person's mental health. So I would love your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, C-section is not a guarantee to prevent worsening. Like I said, it's that during pregnancy, that amount of weight down on the pelvic floor in and of itself can cause prolapse or make it appear worse for a period of time. But I hear so many stories of whether people ended up having a, their second was cesarean or vaginal delivery and things went back. And, you know, They were a little symptomatic right away afterwards to be expected, but they knew how to rehab this time, right? And that I think is so powerful. But I say the exact same thing, that most doctors are going to recommend a vaginal delivery again. However, your mental health and your opinion matters most. Mm -hmm. And if that means a cesarean section for you, then by all means, no one should be stopping you from that. And if that means you want to try a vaginal delivery again, then by all means do that. But yeah, either one I think are are good options. And so... I don't know if you were to have another child, if you want another child, but do you think you would feel comfortable? I know it may be hard to say, but I'm curious to know um, if you would do another vaginal delivery or not. That's a good question. And I've really thought a lot about this. My husband and I are considering, you know, trying to get pregnant again for a second if my kid would stick and wean so I can <laughs> make this happen at some point in my in life. There. But you know. in um, there. I mean, you're also it's yeah, an annoying yeah. question. It's an annoying question. And I don't want to presume that you even want more kids. You might be like, I'm yeah. good. And then conversation goes. But again, yeah. I, I think I'm just asking questions. I know listeners are also asking in their heads. Yes. <laughs> yes. And my, I would be, you know, how do I word this? Let me start again. It would not be fair of me to only talk about my experience with my prolapse because my husband was also involved and it took many months for him to then tell me that that was the hardest period of time in his entire life, that we were caring for a newborn. I had a birth injury. I was severely depressed and anxious. My son has food allergies on top of all of that. And the idea of having a second for him was a no for a while. And I had, to, I had to honor that. And I had to allow my husband to go through his grieving and his postpartum depression period, right? Because yeah. I was doing better. He could lighten up and loosen up and then feel his feelings because he was holding things together for us for a really long time. Yeah. And we've had a lot of conversations about a second. He would be okay if I didn't want a second, but I don't feel like our family's complete. And so we, I think we're going to have another one. <laughs> and at this point, my decision would be to have a vaginal delivery, but I'm open to that changing depending on how I feel during another pregnancy. You're so like, that was not an easy question. So thank you for sharing that. I know that was quite personal. Um, Yeah. yeah, And I think it's important also that it's okay if you change your mind, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's, uh, a, and this is also, you know, one of the things that we know too is that a cesarean birth doesn't necessarily protect your pelvic floor. I mean, it'll prevent you from having a levator avulsion, for example, but mm-hmm. there are other things that come with that. So it's not like, right? Like it's it's not like a, you're guaranteed, especially because you have to also carry the baby for, you know, almost 10 months, <laughs> to mm-hmm. be honest. So there's a lot there. There's a lot there for sure. 
Lexi here. Okay, so let's shift to another under-the-radar, not-so-hot topic for a minute. Body hair. Everyone's got it, but a lot of us want to live smoother. Am I right? Ten years ago, I started Wax On Laser and Wax Bar. Wax On isn't just any waxing and laser hair removal bar. We are the industry leader creating a safe space that inspires people to live confidently in their own skin. Over the years, we've developed trust. Trust that you know you're getting the best quality and comfortable experience every single time. Whatever you come to Wax On for, it's going to be awesome. We've created our own exclusive gold wax formula that's like no other. It's as pain-free and long-lasting as it gets, perfect for all your waxing needs. At Wax On, we've invested in top-of-the-line laser technology that's effective on virtually any hair and skin tone for effective results on every body. Seriously. And we carry a carefully curated collection of products. Some we make ourselves, locally I might add, and some are from brands we've fallen in love with that adhere to our values and standards of clean, good for you, and female founded. If you haven't experienced Wax On, I invite you to enjoy 20% off your first service with code WEGOTHERE. Visit waxon.ca or download the mobile app to book in with code WEGOTHERE because there is such a thing as a better hair removal experience to help you live smoother. So what, what, you've already kind of said this a little bit, Marga, but what are some of the things you wish more people knew about prolapse? Like what are the things you find yourself repeating daily to people? I'm daily telling people how common it is that I know we that that statistic of 50% of people have prolapse, but there's very little research on the postpartum period in people who have prolapse. So I actually found one study that examined women one to four years postpartum and up to 90% of them had some sort of prolapse. Many studies discount even a grade one, so that study included grade one, so even something super you know, minor was included in that. However, only 3 to 20% of them have symptoms. So there's so many people out there who have them and have no idea. Mm. And I get the, well, then, why, why me? Why am I the one who's feeling symptoms? And we could get stuck there, or we could reframe it and say, I'm so glad I know that I have a prolapse mm-hmm. because my symptoms <laughs> alerted me to the fact that I have one. and now. I can live the rest of my life stronger and healthier and take care of myself knowing that menopause and that gravity are on their way <laughs> and reframe it as a positive if you can, right? The whole experience, of course, you have to be like, yeah, I have a prolapse, but you can choose to decide that having symptoms gives you an opportunity to make yourself healthier and stronger for the whole rest of your life. I love that. That is powerful. And it's so worth highlighting that the symptoms don't always equate to the grade of prolapse you have. So someone might be very bothered by a grade one. Mm -hmm. I was. (laughs) I felt it a lot. Um, You know, and then someone might have a two plus and not really be that aware of it. Um, Yes. I have our patients come in frequently who have no idea that they have, you know, close to a grade three and they didn't know it was there. Yeah. But again, knowing that, you know, you, it allows you to be a bit more proactive, as you mentioned before menopause. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, there's a lot that you can do before you have that massive hormonal shift. So can you mm-hmm. share a little bit about what 
happens, and this is going to be maybe a little depressing. I'm older than you, and I know this is around the corner for me. (laughs) (laughs) Perimenopause is coming. I'm 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 40, so it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. it's getting there. Um, not yet, but, you know, knowing that in the next decade, things are very like hundred percent going to change. Mm-hmm. Can you yeah. talk the impact that that happens on the pelvic floor and specifically prolapse? Sure. So when we go into menopause and perimenopausal, our estrogen starts to decrease and eventually just tanks. So this is really analogous to being postpartum and nursing. If you, if you, if that was something that you chose to do to breastfeed. So your vaginal secretions decrease, the blood flow to your tissues reduces, the bulk and just the strength of the walls of your vagina and the pelvic floor muscles decreases. So you end up with a little bit of atrophy. So that that hammock support weakens essentially, and all of that good blood flow that you get for good healing also reduces. So Exercise is a great way to increase blood flow. (laughs) So keep exercising, keep moving, keep moving. Um, But there are ways to, you know, address that as well. This is why for some people, even postpartum topical estrogen applied vaginally can be really, really helpful for symptoms. That's something I've used since six weeks until now because I'm still not, I still don't have a period. I'm still nursing my son. And there's hormone options for if that's not something that you want to do when you get into menopause, there's really great um, over-the-counter products like vaginal moisturizers to help with symptoms. So imagine if you're dry, right, and then the organs have shifted a little bit, you're probably going to be a lot more aware of their presence. Yeah. So your symptoms might increase, even though maybe your grade might not, just because the, you know chemistry of your vagina has changed, you might experience more symptoms because of that. So there's other things that you can use to reduce those. But if you're already strong, those pelvic floor muscles are, you know, are strong before you go into menopause, you've addressed any constipation or diet issues you've had, you have changed the way that you lift and breathe and you've set yourself up the menopause so much better. That is, and it sounds like a lot of these things are things that you don't need to wait to do. I mean, you can start doing them and be proactive. I love that you mentioned nutrition, gut health, constipation, which we know is a causal, right? Like if you're straining, right, get that squatty potty, folks. Yes. <laughs> totally. Um, all of this is really, um, really, really powerful. Um, mm-hmm. I would say, like, you know, can you dive a little bit more into, um, what other things you did specifically to help you. So you mentioned um, the pessary. You also mentioned um, the topical hormone, the estrogen um, cream. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm also curious now as a part B to that question, are you hopeful or do you anticipate things changing when you do wean from breastfeeding? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on my Instagram, we do Friday polls and without fail, pretty much weekly, someone asks, did your symptoms change when you weaned? Because people are thinking, well, I should just stop breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And almost every single time it's been a, like a 50-50 split, like yes or no. Or yes, it did, but I don't think it was because of me. And so it's really, I'm, I would never tell someone to stop because I don't think it's a guarantee that you're going to have improvements. I've been nursing for so long that I'm not really holding out a ton of hope that I think things are going to change maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I've had so much improvement already. I'm really happy with, with what's happened so far. But the other things that I did, so 
I started physical therapy at week seven and I went to see my mentor and she did, she addressed my scar tissue. So I guess I should start with my, my diagnosis. So I was diagnosed week three with a grade two rectocele, a grade two cystocele and a grade one uterine prolapse. So I got estrogen cream week six, started using that and was wearing external support at that time, which was really helpful for my mental health to not feel that stuck tampon bulgy feeling constantly. I got my pessary at week 10, started PT at, yes, week seven, and I started going to behavioral health therapy as well and doing some of that and started Zoloft, which was also really key, I think, to help with the anxiety side of it. So I did lots of hip strengthening. I did some Kegels. I actually had pretty good pelvic floor strength, so that wasn't a huge factor for me. I tend to be on the hypertonic side of things, so learning how to breathe better, like that good 360 breathing, allowing tissues to elongate and contract when they need to, not constantly. I did some hypopressives, not for the strengthening side of it. The research there isn't super mm -hmm. solid that it's any better than doing pelvic floor contractions, but it was great for my symptom relief. So I'm all for it if it feels better for symptom relief. I slowly started ramping up my activities, but I really think the key things for me was the pessary strengthening slowly and uh, addressing my, my mental health. Those were the key, the big key things. So at around five and a half months postpartum, I went back to see the urogynecologist and he regraded me and I have now just a grade one cystocele. So the rectocele, I guess I should talk about this too. The rectocele I think resolved because I addressed the scar tissue from my perineal tear. So when we talk about fascia, if I have a tear down here that's pulling my tissues up here, it can make it a, like it'll make it look like there's a rectocele, right? It's pulling that back wall. So when I released all of the scar tissue down below and it went back up, it, it resolved my rectocele. That's not the case for everyone, but for me, the rectocele was more due to scar tissue. Mm -hmm. So as long as I maintain my, you know, constipation management and all of that, I don't get any of that rectal heaviness. And I'm pretty much asymptomatic at this point. I love that you brought that up because my understanding is that there's what you're kind of describing is called the biotensegrity model of prolapse, yes, where in fancy terms, that basically means that you've got some tension or scar tissue, as you said, say from a tear. And it, you did, again, I wish this was video, but we'll do another video yeah. some other time, but it's pulling down. So if you resolve that yeah. tension... Um, you know, it's going to help. And then there's the other model, which is more of the pressure model where it's just constant straining, coughing, for example, is the other way of thinking about it. So you essentially can have forces from up top pushing down, like if you're straining to have a bowel movement, but also forces from below like scar tissue. And I think mm -hmm. my understanding is a lot of people don't understand the impact that scar tissue can have, right? Yes, I think that's true. And I think that Many physical therapists, I think we're leaning that way, like the education is coming, but many still treat it primarily with the Kegels, Kegels. and <laughs> like, I don't, I don't hate Kegels, but it's, I don't just, either. it's right. You don't either. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page because I'm constantly like, I'm like, like, I love and like all your stuff. It's so good. But it's like, yeah, lift your pelvic floor. But again, understand, is that even required for you? Like, I love that you, you're bringing up the fact that like, I have, you know, been diagnosed with these, these different types of prolapse and yet I don't need to do Kegels. And people are probably like, what? You know what I mean? Right. 
Depri- yeah. Surprised. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the way that I love to talk about this is actually if you give somebody another example. So if someone strained their hamstring and over lengthened it, would the doctor tell them do 50 to 100 hamstring contractions per day and send them home? No, <laughs> they wouldn't. They would teach them how to relengthen. They would address any scar tissue and then they'd functionally strengthen that muscle again. So why are we doing that with the pelvic floor? It's mm-hmm. the same thing. It was over strengthened and strained. So don't do 50 to 100 kegels per day. Mm-hmm. That's not going to get you anywhere. <laughs> There was an interesting, oh, what was it? Some study, and I wish I could remember where it was and when it came out. I think it may be relatively recent, but they're saying that like a bridge gets a better pelvic mm. floor contraction. A lunge gets a better pelvic floor contraction than an isometric Kegel where you're just sitting there on yeah, a chair. For some Kegel. people, that's true. Mm-hmm. For some people, yeah. okay, so that's not for everybody. Got it. Okay. And I think it's important to note that we do need to reconnect with our pelvic floor postpartum. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how to contract your pelvic floor and you don't have a sense of bearing down and then you start exercising, you might be doing yourself a disservice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, bridges can get a good pelvic floor contraction, but are you bearing down or not? Maybe right. ask the pelvic physio or PT to help you figure that out first. Reconnect. But once you've figured it out and that coordination is back, go use your pelvic floor functionally. Right. Don't lie on your bed and do a bunch of contractions because that isn't what you need it to do all day, every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I love that we're talking about this. It's so true. Um, and, and a lot of um, people are probably sort of afraid, right? Like to lift mm-hmm. anything. And so what would you say yeah. to someone, you know, because it's hard. It's like, go strengthen your whole body. And then you're like, well, how am I supposed to do that? I'm afraid to mm-hmm. pick up anything more than my baby's weight, for example. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I always tell people you have to find the threshold of where your symptoms, where you've blown past your threshold and your symptoms get really high. Or if you're going too far below your threshold, you're never going to push your threshold up. So it's important to, yes, try not to be afraid of movement. It is really scary. I know I was there. I was, you know, would cry every time I tried to do transverse abdominus contractions because I feel my bladder moving. It was so scary, but you have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And once you figured out, okay, I can do these things without too much discomfort, add something new in or increase the weight or add a little bit of resistance and see how you feel. It really is dependent on how your body's feeling and have faith in yourself and be confident that it will get better. This is a marathon healing. Childbirth is a marathon healing process. So you're not going to get better in six weeks. Know that your timeline with prolapse might be even a little bit longer than one year, maybe two, maybe even three, but that's okay. You're going to continue to keep getting better. There might be some setbacks. It's a roller coaster, right? We're not always going up, 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 up. There's going to be ups and downs, but our ups are always higher and our downs are never as low. That is such an important message. And I think I honestly think everybody listening to this probably needed to hear that. So thank you, Marco. You're amazing. <laughs> the work that you're doing is so powerful. Is there anything that you would want to say to people listening who are, you know, concerned about their pregnant, their, maybe they're currently pregnant, maybe they're postpartum and they're, you know, worried about developing prolapse or maybe they think they have it. What would you say to anyone watch or listening, not watching, listening? <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I don't know if you read Kimberly Johnson's research about educating people during pregnancy about the potentials for birth trauma, or not trauma, excuse me, but birth injury, like prolapse, levator, birth, diastasis recti, all those things. 
knowledge is so powerful. And she demonstrated that just educating that these were potential things significantly showed that there was reduced distress in the postpartum period. And that overall, these women did better mentally and physically because they were educated. So that's the first thing, that knowledge is power. Go see a pelvic physio. Every, you know, pregnant person, postpartum person should, should be going. This is, mm-hmm. this is a huge thing that your body goes through, a huge shift. And we are here to support you. Um, anything else that I want to say? You're not alone. That's the other thing. This is such a lonely diagnosis. And I am here to tell you, you are not alone. If you need support, my messages are always open. I can connect you with someone who's going through something similar to you. But I promise you that there are more people out there who are going through this who just aren't talking about it. Mm. But there are also so many of us who are, and we want to support you. You are amazing. Please tell everybody where they can find you. Yes. You can find me on Instagram at postpartum underscore prolapse. And then my website is P, the number four, moms. And through that website, you can also join our membership community where there's chat groups. There's actually a photo gallery of what prolapse really looks like that were donated by members. So if you want to go there, we're trying to destigmatize what postpartum vulvas and vaginas look like. (sighs) Oh my gosh. And there's also resources. Yeah, there's recommended providers on there. Um, I am trying to create some, you know, safe workouts for postpartum people coming from someone who's been through that. And I'm kind of beta testing it through that program as well. And that's called P4 Moms. And so people can find me there as well. Amazing. Thank you for all that you do. This is going to live where lots of people will be using it as a resource. So thank you. And um, I think we can all, I can speak for everybody. We're grateful for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Nikki. I'm grateful for you too. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.